chapter 15 shows us that the seven last plagues do not begin to be poured out until Jesus leaves the most holy place. <clears throat> so, our title for today's class, where we're picking up with, would be Armageddon and Jacob's Time of Trouble. So, the title for the class is Armageddon and Jacob's Time of Trouble. So, that's what we are going to spend some time on. Now, where we got to last week <clears throat> were, were the three unclean spirits. And we kind of got into it a little bit, and then it was time to finish, and so we probably need a little bit more of an explanation. And there is one other thing I wanted to point out. So just starting again from the sixth plague, we see, and this is review from last week, you have the sixth angel pours out the vial upon the great river Euphrates. The water was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. So... <clears throat> The first, or the, the first literal fulfillment of this in, in the Bible we find in Daniel chapter 5 when Darius and Cyrus diverted the river Euphrates from the city of Babylon which allowed the Medes and the Persians who were the kings of the east. They came from the east relative to Babylon and destroyed Babylon. So what this tells us is the sixth plague is, uh, is being poured out that Babylon is going to be destroyed for the final time. And we, we get to that at the beginning of the sixth plague. And Darius and Cyrus were uncle and nephew, Cyrus being the nephew of Darius. And in the Eastern culture, and Roger corroborated with us last week, that in the Eastern culture, uncle and nephew can be the same as the father and the son. So when we think of the kings of the East, this is representative of Jesus coming the second time from the east. Lightning comes from east to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So this, that's the spiritual application. Babylon will be dried up. The, the river Euphrates, water represents people, so the people that support Babylon are going to be dried up so that the way for Christ to come will be prepared. So that's what we saw last week. Then we got into the three unclean spirits. And again, I pointed this out last week. William Miller's rules of interpretation that you take something literally when, unless, it can, unless it doesn't make sense to take it literal. And here in verse 13, the three unclean spirits, we pointed out last week that it doesn't make sense to say that literal frogs are going to come out of a literal dragon, beast, and false prophet. That just doesn't make sense. But it does make sense to think of it in spiritual terms. Three unclean spirits. We talked about this last week, what they represent, <clears throat> and the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. We got into that last week. So the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. We're going to just spend a little bit of time of that, on that, and we're going to move into the next phase. And I'm just reviewing briefly, but just to set up the sixth plague so that we don't start midstream. So we talked about this last week, but the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet in Revelation chapter 13, you also have these same three entities. And if you go back to Revelation 13, you see um, a beast that has seven heads and ten horns. He's a composite beast of those beasts we saw in Daniel 7. 
And then in the end of verse 2, we see that the dragon gave him his power, his seat, and great authority. So you have the dragon and the beast in Revelation 13. And the dragon, we also saw in Revelation 12, who is called that old serpent, the devil, and Satan. So now we know, here in Revelation 16, we have the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. And based on Revelation 12 and 13, the dragon is the old serpent, the devil, and the beast is the beast that has seven heads and ten horns, which receives its power from Satan. And it's the same beast that received the deadly wound in 1798. So historically, we know who the beast is. The beast is papal Rome. So then the question is, who is the false prophet? Now, if I tell you that the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet are all found in Revelation 13, you'll know the answer. But fortunately, Revelation 19 helps us to understand more clearly who the false prophet is. So we turn to Revelation 19 to understand who the false prophet is. Because if you remember in Revelation 13, you have the dragon who gives his power and authority to the beast, which is papal Rome. Then you have the second beast, the lamb-like beast, which comes up out of the earth and it does miracles. Um, fire comes down from heaven on the side of men. Revelation 19, verse 20, we see, the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. So you remember in Revelation chapter 13 that the second beast helps the first beast by, by helping people to receive the, the mark of the beast, makes an image to the beast and all of that. So the false prophet we clearly see from Revelation 19 is the same entity as the lamb-like beast of Revelation 13. And that would be the United States of America. Now, here's a key distinction there. In Revelation 13, the United States of America is described as a beast. And a beast in Bible prophecy represents a political power. What does a why would, however, a political power be equated with a false prophet at the same time? What is a false prophet representative of? So, yes, a false prophet represents an ecclesiastical power. So then <clears throat> what Revelation 16 is telling us and what Revelation 19 is telling us, and you read between the lines in Revelation 13, that it's more than just the political power in the United States that is, that is working in concert with papal Rome. It's also an ecclesiastical power within the United States. And Ellen White makes it very clear, but we can, we've proved it from the Bible, that it's a separate power from papal Rome. And what other power than papal Rome would be an ecclesiastical power in the United States? It would be apostate Protestantism. So there you have the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Now, the dragon, because we are told from Ellen White, the dragon represents spiritualism. But we showed that it's the same as the devil because the devil gives his power, seat, and authority to papal Rome. So you have the dragon represented as papal Rome, or, I mean as Satan or spiritualism, the beast, which is papal Rome, and the false prophet, which is apostate Protestantism. 
So how do you show that the dragon is spiritualism? Well, first of all, what's another title for the dragon in Revelation chapter 12? If you look in verse 9, and I heard Roger say it, it's the old serpent. So where's the first time that we see the serpent in, Revela in the Bible? It's Genesis. And what did, what did the serpent do to Eve? He deceived her. And what did he tell her? He told her that she would not surely die. And what is the modern spiritualism that we see today? It's that when you die, you go straight to heaven. And so that sets the people to be deceived with loved ones coming back to life and saying the Sabbath's been changed to Sunday and all sorts of things. So here you have three unclean spirits working in concert in the sixth of the seven last plagues just as the great river Euphrates is being dried up so that the way of the kings of the east may be prepared. Satan makes one last ditch effort to win the great controversy between Christ and Satan. This is his last shot. Now, if you remember from our study from Revelation chapter 15, <coughs> and reading from Ellen White, Spalding and McGann Collection, page 2, that during the seven last plagues, the scapegoat, who is Satan, is led out into the land of forgetfulness by the hand of a fit man. And we study that the fit man represents the 144,000. So as we go through the seven last plagues, you know, water's being turned to blood, there's scorching heat, and, you know, Satan's starting to get worried here. And so when we get to the sixth of the seven last plagues, this is when Satan pulls out his last full-out assault to try to escape from the hand of the fit man. And if you remember Ellen White's statement, she says he makes a mighty struggle to escape. And the sixth plague, where we have the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet working together, this is Satan's last mighty struggle to escape in the battle of the great controversy. <clears throat> and as you recall, <clears throat> The way Satan makes a mighty struggle to escape is the way that he persecutes God's people during the seven last plagues. So that's what we're going to study here. How is it that the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet work through the power of Satan to destroy God's people at the very end of time while the plagues are being poured out? Now remember, this is happening after the close of probation. So probation has closed on the world. When the plagues begin to pour out, Jesus has come out of the most holy place. He's entered the door of the first apartment, and he's placed the sins of God's people on the head of the scapegoat. Probation is closed. The plagues start pouring out. So now in the, the sixth plague, <clears throat> we have the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. And notice what they do here in verse 14. I'd like a volunteer to read verses 14 through 16. Revelation chapter 16, verses 14 through 16. A volunteer. 
Let's, let's have Mike Orlich read Revelation 16, verses 14 through 16. <coughs> For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Okay, so this is getting into the, the meat of the sixth plague. So we have the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. And notice how they are described in verse 14. How are these three spirits described in verse 14? <clears throat> They're called the spirits of devils. So, <clears throat> you do not want to be on the side of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. They're the spirits of devils. So, the dragon, spiritualism. Um, I'll just throw this out there. I mean, if you're going um, to um, programs that exercise an Eastern religion with meditation practices, I'm speaking of things like yoga and other things like that, you're setting yourself up, you're conditioning your mind to be okay with this kind of stuff at the end of time. So stay away from that kind of, of practice. Um, and people say, oh, yoga, it's not bad. You're just doing stretching exercises. Yeah, well, that's the way the devil gets a foothold. <clears throat> so spiritualism, you don't want to be toying with spiritualism. Um, and then you have the beast, which is the papacy. Now is not the time for, looking, for us to look for as many similarities as we have with papal Rome and try to come together and minimize differences. That's not the thing to be doing. And then the false prophet, which is apostate Protestantism. This is especially not the time for Seventh-day Adventists to be trying to become more like the other Christian denominations because the end result of apostate Protestantism and the papacy and spiritualism is to be the threefold union that Satan works through during the seven last plagues as his last thrust against God's people in the great controversy. So... They're the spirits of devils, and notice what they do. They work miracles, and they go forth to the kings of the earth. Now, <clears throat> notice what's happened here. Remember where we are. We are in the sixth of the seven last plagues, and by this point, <clears throat> people around the earth have seen grievous sores fall on people, water turning to blood, scorching heat. And so they're starting to think, hey, you know, that remnant group, those Seventh-day Adventists who predicted this would happen, they're starting to sound like they may have had something and we're probably on the wrong side. And so Satan knows that the only way that he'll have a chance, one last chance as the seven last plagues are being poured out to destroy the faithful is to try to convince the whole world that God is still on their side. And so these three spirits, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, which are the spirits of devils, will work miracles in the same way that the magicians of Egypt worked miracles to try to prove that God was with Pharaoh. And we have a comment right down here. 
The spirit of prophecy mentions that these plagues are not going to be universal. So if we hear of like two or three million people with sores or darkness somewhere or another, uh, then that's, that's what's happening. Information is closed. So Roger stated that spirit of prophecy makes it clear, and this is in great controversy, that these plagues are not universal. Um, but if we hear of um, a place where several million people have sores or one of the oceans turned to blood, you know, we, we will know at that point that probation has closed, that the plagues are being poured out. Another comment over here. Actually, I had a question. Um, how come if the close of probation has already happened that Satan's so worried because he already has all those people? Good question. So the question is, if the close of probation has already happened, why is Satan so worried? Very key question. So here's what happens. Um, and we discussed this in previous, uh, two weeks ago, I think. Um, this boils down to, when we get to the end of the seven last plagues, this boils down to Satan's last chance in the great controversy before the second coming. And of course, then we know from prophecy that at the end of the thousand years, Satan tries to convince those who are resurrected for the second resurrection that they still have a chance to take New Jerusalem, even though they know they can't. <clears throat> but Satan's argument in the great controversy is that it is true that God has a remnant group of people that keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. <clears throat> and Satan will say, just like he said to God about Job, if you give me a chance with your remnant people after the close of probation, um, I can take them down. And in the seven last plagues, God is going to let Satan bring the severest trials that have ever come on the face of the earth. And Satan still believes, even though probation is closed and he sees the seven last plagues being poured out and he knows that Jesus is done with his work in the most holy place, Satan still believes that if he has a chance to unleash the most ferocious attacks on God's people, that he can win. So what he does here is he brings together his three powers here on this earth, spiritualism, papal Rome, and apostate Protestantism. And through those three powers and through the working of miracles, he gets the rest of the earth on his side. And that's what we're going to look at now. A comment here. <clears throat> what we're going to look at now is what happens when Satan gets these three powers to work on his side during this time. If you have the book Maranatha at home, if you look at October the 16th, October the 17th, and October the 18th, which is today's date, yesterday, and the day before, you will find Ellen White's comment on this very subject. And here you'll see that it is when men join with the great arch rebel at the end of these plagues where the seventh vial is poured out. This is the complete destruction of our planet. This is where heaven vindicates uh, the death of Christ in this earth. And uh, we're, we're, we're about to witness these things in our lifetime. And it's, it would behoove us to be found with the wedding garments on. I get to that right away. So thank you very much. So um, read Maranatha, the book Maranatha, October 16, 17, and 18. She talks about this very stuff. Now I want to try to get through this section here. Um, it was my intention to finish Revelation 16 today. But um, we're hitting some good stuff, so thank you for your comments. So we have 
the spirits of devils working miracles. Now notice what they do. They go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. So what happens is, <clears throat> through the miracle working power that Satan invests in spiritualism, papal Rome, and apostate Protestantism, they are able to go to the kings of the earth and the whole world, and the whole world joins forces with Satan <clears throat> to, to do battle against God's people. Now, if you read about this in the spirit of prophecy, we know that <clears throat> there comes a time <clears throat> when God's people are where God's people are isolated. They have a death decree proclaimed against them. And the whole world comes out to get God's people. Now, in, in a certain sense, this is describing a literal battle. And yet, God's people are not going to be fighting back with guns and weapons. So that's one reason why... Um, Branch Davidians and Shepherd's Rod are clearly wrong. I mean, they stockpile weapons to try to be ready so that when the government comes to get them, they can shoot them and, you know, that kind of stuff. That's not the spirit of Christ, and that's clearly not what the Bible teaches us to do. And, you know, that's what David Koresh was doing back in the Waco incident. They stockpiled weapons um, so that they could, you know, fight the government if the government ever came to get them. That's not what this is describing here in Revelation 16. When we describe this battle between the whole world who has sided with Satan and God's remnant people, the, the thing that, that God's people use to fight back against um, the wicked is found in verse 15. We read this. Notice this. Here Jesus says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So, during this great time in earth's history, when the whole world gathers together to do battle against God's people, when a death decree is declared against God's people, this is known as Jacob's time of trouble. <coughs> God's people, the way that they fight back is by keeping their, keeping their garments. Now, why do you think, or can you think of another place in the book of Revelation that talks about garments and walking naked and shame? It's the message to Laodicea. And remember, the Laodicean church is the church that is living during the judgment hour. <laughs> And um, the Laodicean church is the church that God is trying to prepare to go through the seven last plagues. They are the judgment hour church. And the danger that Laodiceans face is because of our current condition, we are not ready to face the seven last plagues. And, you know, maybe the first five plagues, you're like, oh, wow, here's the seven last plagues, and, and you manage to avoid 
somehow the first five plagues. But when the sixth plague comes, the whole world's going to be involved one way or the other. Either you're going to be teamed up with Satan, and of course probation's already closed, so you're on one side or the other, and you may not have known probation is closed. But when Jacob's time of trouble comes, you'll know which side you're on. And if you don't have the garments of Christ's righteousness, you don't stand a chance during that time. That's one of the key points. And so Jesus makes a, a critical, crucial point to his Laodicean people that we need the garments of his righteousness. And he specifically says that we're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked without that. And it's interesting that the memory verse for our regular quarterly, Revelation 7:24, O wretched man that I am, the man of Romans 7 is the Laodicean man. The good that he would, he does not, and the things that he doesn't want to do, that he does. And somehow, many Seventh-day Adventists now teach that that's the converted experience on your way to heaven. That's the, the worst possible theology you could be teaching, because if you're teaching that kind of theology, you're preparing yourself to receive the seven last plagues. And Jesus is saying, don't be the man of Romans 7. He's wretched, and if you are wretched, you're going to be naked, and if you're naked, you will receive the seven last plagues. And so the Judgment Hour Church has a message, the Laodicean Church, to receive the garments of Christ's righteousness. And that's why Jesus says to the Laodicean Church, I stand at the door and knock, let me come in. So Jesus comes into our hearts, that's the finishing of the mystery of God, and when the mystery of God is finished, then God's people can be prepared to go through the seven last plagues. So here we see spirits of devils, they work together, they gather the whole world um, for the great day of God Almighty, and then we see that those who will withstand that time are those who are clothed, clothed with the garments of Christ's righteousness. They are the people that heeded the counsel of the true witness, the Laodicean message, and they have let Jesus come into their hearts they're clothed with his righteousness. They've put aside the things of this world so that when the seven last plagues are poured out, they are not naked and there is no shame. And then verse 16, he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Now, it's interesting. I was, I was reading through the Bible commentary. There are some people who believe that Armageddon's a literal place in Israel. Adventists have taught that. Although, I think the more accepted position is um, that it's the spiritual battle that takes place between the righteous and the wicked during the seven last plagues, during Jacob's time of trouble. And if you remember, in Jacob's time of trouble, Jacob had a mighty army, Esau's army, that was coming to destroy him. And he wrestled with the mighty angel all night and was victorious. That will be the experience of God's people during Jacob's time of trouble. And Ellen White tells us that usually things are worse in anticipation than reality, but the Jacob's time of trouble is going to be far worse than we can even imagine. I'm not trying to scare you, but that's just reality. And so Armageddon is a severe spiritual struggle that takes place during Jacob's time of trouble. It's the battle between the righteous and the wicked. And some people maybe think, well, hey, what about the thousand, end of the thousand years when the whole world goes against New Jerusalem? That's the battle of Gog and Magog. We'll get to that in Revelation chapter 20. 
So you have the Battle of Gog and Magog when the wicked try to take the city. The Battle of Armageddon is before the second coming with the righteous and the wicked. And here's an interesting point. Armageddon, if we talk about what the word Armageddon means, you can break the word down into two parts. Um, the Hebrew word, it can be A-R, R, and then Mageddon. And A-R or H-A-R means mount or mountain. And Mageddon can, can either mean the literal Megiddo in, in Israel or it can mean congregation. And what's interesting here is what you have is mountain of the congregation. And in Isaiah 14, Lucifer wanted to ascend to be like the Most High and to ascend into the Mount of the Congregation. So what you have here in Armageddon is Satan's attempt to be like the Most High here on earth. And what he does is he brings church and state together through this threefold union of spiritualism, papal Rome, and apostate Protestantism. And through this threefold union, he sets up his mount of the congregation. And through this threefold union, he shows the true spirit of his government, which is to try to destroy God's faithful people. Now, we saw this in Daniel 11. If you remember in Daniel 11, we'll go back there right now. In Daniel 11, the king of the north, which is the same as papal Rome, Daniel 11, 44 and 45, we see tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly to make away many. And then notice verse 45, and he shall plant the tabernacle of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end and none shall help him. And then notice verse 12, at that time shall Michael stand up and then there shall be a time of trouble since, such as never was since there was a nation. So notice how Daniel 11 equates the loud cry message and then the tabernacle that Satan sets up with the beginning of Jacob's time of trouble. They all go together. So when Satan sets up his tabernacle or his, um, his palace where he brings church and state together and issues a death decree against God's people, in Daniel 11, that is synonymous with Revelation 16, with Armageddon, with a threefold union, the, the battle of the great day of God Almighty, and um, God's people going through the experience of Jacob's time of trouble. That is the sixth plague. So the sixth plague in summary is a threefold union of three demonic spirits, papal Rome, apostate Protestantism, and spiritualism that work together to try to destroy God's people in Satan's last-ditch effort to try to destroy the remnant. And remember, this is when Satan is trying to make his mighty struggle to escape, to prove that the principles of his government are better than the principles of God's government. And what ends up happening is God's righteous 144,000 lead the scapegoat into the land of forgetfulness during 
the most trying of circumstances during Jacob's time of trouble, and they proved Satan to be an utter liar. And we've said this before, but Satan was a perfect being who was in a perfect environment and sinned, and he was over the mercy seat closest to God, and somehow he sinned in that environment and had to be cast out of heaven. And then you have a group of people that live in the most wicked time in earth's history that go through the most awful trials that have ever existed and live perfectly. And so Satan now has no further arguments in the great controversy. You know, he could say, well, yeah, you had Abraham, he was one. You had Moses, he was one. Elisha and Enoch, they were one here or there, but you've never had a whole group of people. And yeah, Jesus, of course, but he was God, so whatever. Um, but there's no argument with 144,000 because they lived in the worst time of earth's history and he unleashed his fiercest attacks that have ever been unleashed and they passed through that time. So he has nothing left to say. So after that... <coughs> There's nothing left for Satan to say in the great controversy. And then we get to the seventh last plague, the seven of the seven last plagues. And that's verse 17. And I'd like a volunteer to read verses 17 to 21. We're, you know, I'm going to have to cut things short. Are you going to read the verses? Okay. We don't have, unfortunately, we probably don't have time for comments, but we're going to finish the chapter here. We have three minutes. So we'll read verses 17 to 21. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. <coughs> and the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon a man a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. Okay, thank you. So notice what happens here. Um, and unfortunately, I don't have time for comments at this point. We're just going to finish up the seventh plague. But when Satan brings the whole world together and they try to destroy God's people, that's when the measure of their iniquity is full. And then the seventh plague is poured out. And here we see there's a voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. Then we see voices, lightning, thunderings, and there was a great earthquake. And Babylon is divided into three parts. What are the three parts? The dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. They're split apart from each other. Every island fled away. The mountains were not found. This is second coming language. So now when the seventh plague is poured out, the second coming occurs. So God's people pass through Jacob's time of trouble, through Armageddon, and then just after that, second coming, and there is great hail that comes out of heaven, the weight of a talent. And the weight of a talent is about 70 pounds. So if you have a talent of hail falling upon you from heaven, it's going to wipe you out. It's not a good thing. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hill, for, for the plague there was exceeding great. Now, I want to point out something interesting here. If you remember the seven trumpets in Revelation 11, when the seventh trumpet sounded, <clears throat> when the seventh trumpet sounded, we see that um, when the temple of God was opened in heaven, 
there was seen the ark of his testament. There were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. Now, that was October 22, 1844. And what that's signifying, when the seventh trumpet began to sound, that was saying, this is the beginning of the final judgment. And when the seventh seventh plague is poured out, the final end will be a mighty earthquake and hail coming out of heaven, the weight of a talent, when Jesus comes the second time. So there's second coming language at the beginning of October 22, 1844. And so we see that Rome is destroyed. Spiritual Rome, seventh trumpet is the judgment on spiritual Rome, and the seven last plagues are the means that God uses to destroy spiritual Rome up unto the second coming. And as we wrap up, next week when we get into chapter 17, which is a fascinating chapter, you don't want to miss our studies on chapter 17, we're going to see why Rome was judged. And there's a connection between the seven last plagues and the judgment of the great whore found in Revelation 17. So that's what we're going to get into next week. Thank you, everyone.